0: Welcome in. This is your Friday Scramble for February fourth, twenty twenty two. I'm regaming that right there, Andy Lack. Andy,
1: good to see you, bud. Good to see you, man. How are you doing on this uh, wonderful Friday morning? I was just. We were just
0: talking about this before we went hot.
1: I'm. I was sweating
0: the uh, the Sheamus power fairways prop from price picks this is presented by price picks and he just hit a shot that literally it was skirting the first cut for 15 yards that i, I was like having heart palpitations watching that
1: yeah as if we didn't have enough <laughs> stuff to sweat already price picks really takes it to a new level um gotta hand it to them i think it's so much fun because every single shot like a fairway a green it uh it comes into play depending on what you got going with prize pick. So we'll get into that very shortly.
0: How how will um, the other, the other sweat that you have to go through is uh, whether the volunteer gets it right. Like whether the volunteer can (laughs) see from 50 yards away, whether they're in the first cut or whether they're in the fairway. Like that's, that's also the sweat that I'm worried about.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Which, you know, who, who can really say Uh, I saw, I always see those people. I always, sometimes when i'm watching tournaments i always see those guys that are doing shot tracker and i kind of want to have like a conversation with them and learn more about their job and the ends and outs of it but i also don't want to distract them at the same time either
0: yeah they'll never they'll never be able to get their focus back bill in the chat also sweating it uh as well said made it by that much very very small but Seamus power <laughs> uh two for two in fairways as we get into this um We'll, we'll talk about prize picks in a second. I want to talk about it soon because there are some guys that have not teed off yet. But let's talk through Pebble Beach real quick because we've got one round in the books. They are, as we speak right now, uh, a lot of guys getting started on their second rounds And a couple of names at the top of the leaderboard, Andy, that we've, we've been keeping a close eye on over the past couple of weeks. Tom Hoagie at it again, popping up again. And Seamus Power, who legitimately has transformed transformed into a completely different player in the last six or eight months
1: yeah i said the same thing on uh my podcast earlier this week like the only thing with seamus power that we need to get comfortable with is seeing those shorter numbers close to his name because you look at all of the stats like he is a top five golfer in this field um, he, I believe he has seven top 25s in his last eight starts. Like he's playing some incredible golf right now. He checks that Taylor Gooch box that you could even say this about cam smith as well where the numbers all suggest that he is very 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 close to a win um and there's a it seems like it's coming very soon potentially even this week what's more scary about it rick is that he did it on spyglass which was the only course that was playing over par so i know you tweeted out the the real leaderboard and he was leading the real leaderboard even though hoagie has the lead on the actual leaderboard
0: Right. So the real leaderboard, the true leaderboard is really just the strokes gained metrics. Obviously, when you're playing different courses, there are different levels of difficulty. So Seamus Power gains 8.2 strokes on the field despite being one shot behind Tom Hoagie. Tom Hoagie gained 7.7 at Pebble Beach. I had someone, someone tweeted something like um, the true leaderboards don't work. They didn't work last week and they're not going to work again this week. These aren't predictive. I don't know what you're talking about. This is literally just math. There's zero opinion in this whatsoever. There's no working or not working of a leader, of a true leaderboard.
1: Yeah. I mean, Seamus could be but, terrible at Monterey Peninsula. He could be te- like, it's a, basically all it's selling is who was most impressive through their first round based on how the course is playing right. comparative to the field. Yeah. Right. It's,
0: the people are weird. Um, I'll, I'll also, the big news uh, earlier in the week, and we didn't get to touch on this on Tuesday's chat, because Daniel Berger withdrew on Wednesday. I guess that back injury was a thing, right, that we saw at Torrey Fines because it was enough to have him say, you know what, no thanks.
1: I'll see you guys down the road. So I would like to plead the fifth a little bit on this one I because there were a couple people that were like, oh, you shouldn't have picked him in one and done. You should have known and seen that he was injured. Well, I was at the tournament watching with you most of the time on uh friday and saturday and so i kept seeing on my twitter timeline burger looks terrible on coverage but i wasn't actually following burger in person i was following other guys so i didn't see him holding the back at all and if he's playing this week i'm going to always like if the narrative is how many times have we seen a narrative where Oh, this guy's hurt. He gives some bad quotes, but he ends up playing the tournament and is absolutely fine, even though everyone gets scared off. That was kind of where I was going with the burger, Zach. I I thought, listen, if he's playing in this tournament, he should be fine. I probably should have gone back and watched some of that tape because it seemed like he, according to everyone else, was really in pain. Uh,
0: but he was on site this week. He was okay. He was asked, I think, nineteen questions or something outrageous in his press conference, and none of them were about his back. And um, I don't blame you. And I, I like the people that wanted to punish you and make you stick with Daniel Berger <laughs> instead of allowing the swap to Matt Fitzpatrick, which I, I love that everyone's like, "Nope, screw you, Andy. You're stuck with Berger."
1: <laughs> well, and and if he played, if he had literally one tee shot, just one shot, then right. I then that would have been my fate. But luckily he did it before lock or anything else. So uh,
0: do you remember when he withdrew after one shot at a WGC, he piped one down the middle. He was kind of hurt coming in, piped one down the middle, took his 50 K and bounced because he I had hit, hit an official shot.
1: <laughs> I do. I think maybe he, maybe he learned his lesson from that in terms of its implications on the fantasy community. Cause I think, I think Honda classic too. I think last year at the Honda classic, he was in the field and he withdrew on like Tuesday afternoon at the Honda classic. So who knows? I mean, I think probably he wanted to give it a go. Um, he's the defending champion. So obviously there are a lot more media commitments and such and responsibilities when you're the defending right. champion of a tournament, but it'll be interesting to see what happens yet. I was looking at the Phoenix field this morning. I don't think he's in the Phoenix field either.
0: He has until the end of the day to commit, but um, okay, um I don't know. I don't know if he historically plays that we'll have to figure it out. But for now, Andy, let's, let's prop it. Like it's hot. We've got to do this here right now because there are still plenty of Props available at Prize Picks. I'm been. I'm having a blast with this. Okay, yeah, I think too. golf is is perfect for it. The fact that you can go cross sport and you can choose two to five and it changes your pay. Like the, uh, I'm I'm having almost too much fun with this. But the way we've done it is, I tweeted a couple out. Uh, but you and I have kind of identified a couple of props to keep an eye on for today, the second round at the Pebble Beach Pro Am, and these are from golfers that are not. Uh, have not teed off yet as of right now, so you can still go get these. Uh, so, Andy, you are—you uh, can go first here. I see what you have one from Maverick McNeely. Which one has caught your attention?
1: Okay, so I have Maverick McNeely under twelve greens in regulation at Spyglass Hill, and one of the things that I love about Prize Picks, Rick, is like you can basically just like use math to play the percentages, right? Like you could basically just like look at a player's greens and regulation percentage. You can look at a courses greens and regulation percentage and basically just play the percentages. Um, With McNeely, like the irons, have still been the weakest part of his game, right? Like he, he's just coming off a week where he's lost strokes on approach at Torrey Pines. The irons have of course gotten better, but he's still better off the tee. He's still a better driver or he's still a better putter and his short game's really good too. And, spyglass it's you know you're hitting about 60% of your greens at spyglass just to begin with yeah um, so I'll happily take the under on Mav, 12 greens in regulation we don't have shot tracker from what he did at Monterey Peninsula but it it didn't seem like he he, he didn't play that great so I'll gladly take the under on Mav McNeely's greens in regulation 12 at spyglass.
0: Spyglass is the eight was the eighth hardest green to hit in regulation last year, so that's why Andy is looking at uh, an under there. If you use the code Rick when you sign up at Prize Picks, you can get an instant one hundred percent deposit match up to one hundred dollars. So go do that right now. I've got an under for you as well. I'm going Patrick can't lay under thirteen greens in regulation. So um, I've been putting this tool together, Andy. So I'll have the data available. And I'll have a free tool that I'll put out where um, you know you can adjust the number of rounds and you can see how how often they're hitting fairways and greens and birdies and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm kind of putting the finishing touches on that. But last 50 rounds for Cantlay, he's hitting about 12.7 greens in regulation. He had 14 yesterday at Monterey Peninsula. As you already mentioned, this is Spyglass Hill. It's the harder green to hit. I've got him coming in about 10.9. Uh, in terms of how many greens he's going to hit in regulation here on this Friday. So I'll take the under 13 on Like I think maybe sometimes taking the under on some of these bigger names
1: uh, might be the way to go. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think – question for you. You'd probably know a little bit better than me. Have you seen – do you think there's like line movement? Do you think that they will adjust – Yes. Really? Okay. Yeah. So
0: after they 100% do, so you want to secure it quickly. Um, it after I tweeted out, Oh, see, look, William is in the chat. It must've moved to 12 and a half because William mm. says, do you still like it at 12 and a half? Which I, I would say, yes, I have met 10.9, which is 11. So you've got a little bit of wiggle room there. And uh, the half of the half a greener regulation is, is, is big, but yeah, it happens. Um, After we, we, I tweeted out the Patrick Rogers under on fairways and it moved from whatever it was nine to eight and a half. Yeah. They are adjusting live. So you don't, you don't want to wait.
1: Okay. All right. That's good. Because I think I noticed that with my second one, I I think last night with Kisner, it was 12.5. I went back to check it today and it was 12. So that's really, that's interesting to hear. Okay. That would make some sense. Yeah.
0: Okay, oh, you have Kisner here. Okay, so I have an over on Kisner. You have an under on Kisner. So yours is under greens and regulation, right?
1: Yeah, and again, it's like I'm just playing the percentages here. I actually like this one way more than I like McNeely because you look at Kisner, you're like, Kisner's 183rd on tour and strokes gain approach, and greens and regulation percentage at Spyglass, well below tour average. It's 61%, right? So you take a well below average iron player at 12 greens in regulation on a course where an average iron player should hypothetically hit 12 greens in regulation. I'll take the under. That's my favorite one.
0: Okay. Which I believe it is now, according to the chat at 12 and a half. So if you still, if the unders, (laughs) the unders now getting better, right? The unders getting better for you. If you want the underside of that, Um, I'm going with Kisner over nine fairways. So the way that this works for me is he's hitting about 9.6 in his last 50 rounds. He hit nine yesterday and he's going to get one more opportunity at Spyglass Hill because there is an additional par four uh, at Spyglass and it's kind of like your average driving course. So we each have Kisner. Andy's going with under 12 and a half. I'm going with over nine. Let me ask you this, Andy. Before we wrap this up, and you probably want to get these in right now because these guys are going to tee off pretty quickly. Use the code uh, Rick. There's a link in the description, all that good stuff. I like the fairways and greens ones a lot because that's just like one shot, right? Like it's just one shot. If you're talking about shooting a score, you could have a blow up hole. There's kind of a lot of things that have to go in your, in your direction. I know it's a smaller sample size, which tends to be more random, but I'm really liking, especially the fairways because it's the only time you have a literal perfect lie every single shot.
1: Yeah. And you're also able to use math more when you're talking about those. Like it's easier to say, okay, let's look at all of the data from these courses and say, okay, what's the percentage that people are hitting greens? What's the percentage of people that are hitting fairways versus scoring average average? is there's a lot more variables that go into just average scoring average than there is the specificity of how easy or difficult it is to hit fairways or greens. So I agree with you as well. I I think, um, you know, fantasy points, like I'm sure they're going to keep adding stuff too. Uh, But I have been more attracted to fairways and greens as well. Like you.
0: The one that I think is even more difficult is birdies. Cause you could have a guy pumping it to eight feet or 10 feet every single time. And if he lips a couple of putts out, that's tough, but yeah, fairways and greens so far have been uh very, very good to me. So I'll probably stick in that route as Seamus power putts for Eagle. He missed it.
1: Yeah. Tom, left for Tom, Tom Hoagie, double bogey as well, which my 65 to one ticket, uh, not going to say it's up in flames, but, uh, not looking as great as it did five minutes ago, Rick.
0: <laughs> All right, fair enough. So that'll uh, that'll conclude our Profit Like It's Hot segment. Again, use the code RICK over at Price Picks, 100% instant deposit match up to $100. You can do mixed sport entries. You can do anywhere from two to five props on the same card. I, I especially uh, next week is going to be absolutely bonkers with, I'm sure, Super Bowl stuff and waste management stuff. So uh, very, very much enjoying uh, my recent foray into – prize picks. Now we have to talk about everything that's going on in Saudi Arabia. We got to have a little fun in games, but first we're going to take 30 quick seconds. Remember, Andy Lack is not only the co-host of The Scramble, but also produces his own show, The Inside Golf Podcast. It's available twice a week, focusing on course breakdowns, DFS, and betting strategies for every PGA Tour event. Admittedly, I was drawn to Andy for his data-driven approach, which you'll find on his Sunday shows as he breaks down the field, but I'm even more impressed by his passion for course architecture, which offers a different perspective of our great game. Mix those two together with insightful and humorous guests who don't take themselves too seriously, and use You've got a recipe for a great podcast. Follow Inside Golf on Twitter and download Inside Golf wherever you download podcasts. Okay, Andy, the world of golf is in a bit of turmoil. Is that the right word? Because there are more and more rumors and things heating up about this uh, Saudi Super League, which is essentially the Asian tour and some of the offers that they have made. And we've heard quotes from guys like, Phil Mickelson and Lee Westwood. There's just a lot going on. And I think I'll preface this entire conversation with saying like, this is complicated. This is complex. There are um, uh, political angles. There are moral angles. There are financial angles. There are organizational angles. We're not going to be able to cover all of those today, but there's just a lot happening here.
1: Yeah. There's a lot to unpack. Um, I. It's obviously a developing story and we're not we're not reporters or anything, so we're we're right. basically just talking about the information that we have. Bryson has already earlier this morning. I was talking about this with you before we went hot. Like he's already commented on Instagram, like that offer is incorrect or something. Of course, I'm referring to probably the biggest story out of this uh, outside of the Phil stuff too, which we'll talk about as well. But Bryson was reportedly offered 130 million dollars to be the face of the Saudi golf league. What do you think?
0: What what do you think comes with being the face of the Saudi golf league? What are, what other requirements do you think are, uh, are uh, expected of you there?
1: I don't know. I don't, I don't think that from my understanding of the reason why the Saudi golf league is going to be a little bit different in terms of their format and presentation, like what they're kind of going for is they want to do smaller field events. They want to do, no cut events. They want to implement a team aspect to it. There's a what i mean, if you look if you just look at it on the surface, Rick, like they're saying a lot of things that would make golf more exciting and entertaining sure on on the surface, right? Like there are a lot of things with the p g a tour, maybe that feel a little bit outdated or don't do the best job of drawing new fans to the screen. And Saudi, the Saudi golf league is basically saying like, Hey, we see a lot of room for improvement in these things. Now, obviously there's like we said, moral and political implications with all that. But the understanding that I get from the Saudi golf league is it's a pretty good deal. I don't think your actual performance on the course matters as much as it would on the PGA Tour in terms of your ability to make money.
0: No, it won't for the big names because they'll kind of have like guaranteed contracts. We heard the like the $30 million offer for Ian Poulter and this outrageous offer for Bryson DeChambeau with the way that, yeah, they're trying to have smaller fields and bigger payouts. It's just kind of like more guaranteed money. I don't think anyone, I, I can't argue about the off side of it. Right, like no one is like okay, yeah, sounds great. Or you want to do a team aspect? It's the same thing the PGL wanted to do. Like okay, let's let's innovate a little bit. You know, the PGA Tour has been around for a very long time. They've done some innovation, no problem there. So from the golf side, makes complete sense. It is the the fact that this is run by a financial arm of what is what is a hostile government. It it would be like if the United States Treasury was trying to bring uh, high profile athletes over. Uh, from other countries, and maybe our political standing in the world isn't so great, right? Like, like that's what the concern is. So, Bryson, it to me, Bryson's is the perfect target, right? Bryson is the perfect target. He is not only, um, you know, wants to be a billionaire, but it, it is like he has he has convinced himself that he is unique, that he is innovative, that he is changing the game, and I think he could convince himself to go do
1: this. Okay. So I agree with you. I think Bryson is the perfect target. And here's the thing that, that I find interesting about it. So you hear like, what is the reason if it's that much money, what's the incentive for guys on the PGA tour to stay right. And Rory McIlroy has talked about this a little bit before in interviews where you get to a certain point where like Rory really cares about his legacy, right? Like he wants to have, I don't know. He wants to win 30 times on the PGA tour or something like that. Do you think Bryson cares about that? Like, do you think that Bryson cares about winning 30 times on the PGA tour and being in the world golf hall of fame and stuff like that?
0: If you asked me five years ago, I would say absolutely. Cause he wears like the hat and he, and he has like Ben Hogan's name or whatever stamped onto his wedges and stuff like that. And he's kind of like this golf historian who wants to walk sure. uh, down the same paths that, that the, the guys before him did. I don't necessarily feel that way anymore. I I think that he is, he sees himself, um, listen, I, I think he sees himself the way that a lot of other billionaires do. Not that he's a billionaire yet, but like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, those guys think they are changing the world. They're a little bit quirky. You've got to be to kind of be to be willing to do some of the things that he's willing to do. I think he falls in line with whatever percentage of the population thinks like that.
1: Let me ask you another question, because I just want to make sure I have this right. The majors officially, like the USGA, they haven't really taken a stance on this yet, right? They gave a
0: very lukewarm support of the PGA Tour, but they they could also squash this. The, 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 The majors could squash a lot of this by saying, joint statement, we stand with the PGA Tour. If you leave the PGA Tour to go take this money from the Asian Tour... You're not playing in the majors, and then I think you'd have a lot of guys thinking, "Okay, maybe I shouldn't consider this." Because if you're Bryson and you get paid 130 million dollars and you get to play the majors, you not only get money, but you also get legacy opportunity. Like that—that that is, if you don't have the majors, it makes it a harder, a harder um, conversation.
1: Yeah, and I, I think Bryson, you know, he he does have the number of he has the number of his PGA tour wins like written on his uh, his greens book. Yeah. So maybe, maybe we're not giving him enough credit for like, do you think he's going to take it? Like <laughs> if this is um, a real offer, like, do you think he's gonna not take by it? His,
0: Not by himself, but it kind of leads into like the Phil Mickelson comments too, where Phil is calling the PGA tour, you know, obnoxiously greedy or whatever it is, which is, Uh, there's a lot to unravel there, but I could see a scenario in which those two convince themselves to go and they go together. Um, I don't think Bryson will go alone. And then I think once you get Bryson and Phil, you would get Poulter and Westwood. And, you know, I mean, look look at the guys who are playing there this week. If you picked off half of those, six or eight of those, and you have 12 or 14 guys, I don't know if that makes a league, but I think it would be easier for golfer... Three, four, five, and six to go after Bryson and Phil have gone.
1: Yeah. And I, for the record, I mean, just to transition into Phil a little bit, like, I think it makes a lot more sense for Phil to go than it does for Bryson to go because what more does Phil have to accomplish on the PGA Tour? Like, Phil, is Phil going to win again on the PGA Tour? I don't know. Probably not. Maybe he can, maybe he can scratch one out. But like, at this stage of Phil's career, he's still probably not good enough to compete on the PGA tour at a regular basis and win majors at a consistent rate. But you know, does he also get a lot of enjoyment out of dominating the champions tour, right? Where he's so clearly the best player in those fields. I want Phil in the booth. That's like my dream scenario. I don't know if our friends at CBS would be able to uh, get anything close to what Saudi Golf is offering him. But I think it, for where Phil is at in his career, I think it probably makes a lot more sense to Phil where he doesn't really have much legacy left on the line than Bryson, right? Uh, for for sure. And Phil, I mean, he's he's got a bunch of quotes out of
0: this. Um, let me see which one I can find. He is now very concerned about the digital moment so he says quote there are many issues but this one is the biggest for me personally it's not enough that they are sitting on hundreds of millions of digital moments they also have access to my shots access i do not have they also charge companies to use the shots i have hit end quote he's talking about the rights to everything he's done on television but he doesn't have those rights from major champ majors either to me phil is and i might have i might have texted this to you he's like that diva wide receiver right that's just like he's planting the seeds to force a trade he is just setting this up to either get an unbelievable offer from the pga tour create leverage there some some type of relationship or to take all the money from from the saudis
1: yeah which is like it's so funny to watch how Phil operates at this stage of his career. the One of the quotes that I found the most interesting with Phil was, and this kind of goes back to this legacy versus um, like how much players care about legacy. Did you see, I want to shout out the longer form piece in Golf Digest. I believe it was John Huggin that first reported yeah. this. But Phil basically said, if I win a U.S. Open, I'm going to retire. Did you see that? That's the I, only thing that will- I saw that, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was interesting, too. And I, I think that kind of goes back to, okay, at the end of the day, what is Phil really looking for, right? Because on one hand, it seemed like he's very, very, very concerned about maximizing the amount of potential on course earnings he can have, but there's so many different avenues and paths for Phil to go at this stage of his career, right? Like he's incredible in the booth. I think his Q rating in the booth is anytime (sighs) he goes on the match, everyone's like, this guy is incredible. And he is, um, I, he has a pathway where he could dominate the champions tour for the next 10 years. And then he can also at 50, 51 years old, be the face of Saudi golf for what the next five, 10 years. So I don't know where Phil's going to go. It seems like he's leaning towards going where the most money is uh, going to follow, but it's just, I, I find him such a fascinating test case at this point in his career.
0: That's what I. Okay. You said, is he the face of the Saudi league for the next five or 10 years or whatever? Like, what? This thing may or may not be around in five, five years. You know what I mean? Like, if it, we're at the point now where if they're going to start making these offers and they don't get anybody to bite, this disappears in eight months. Or they get these guys, uh, but it's no longer financially viable or whatever they come up with. And what if these guys, like, what if Bryson takes $130 million? And he plays on that tour for four years, and they cease to exist. What does the PGA Tour do when he wants to come back?
1: Yeah, exactly. And also, Rick, if some of these guys start saying no, like if Bryson says no, and if Phil says no, then are they going to offer the same deal to like who's next in line? Right? Yeah. Like, are you Bryson- gonna are you gonna,
0: are you gonna have a tour of Kevin Na, Jason Kokrak, and Harold Varner the third? Exactly.
1: So like, yeah. Are you offering that to any of those guys? If Bryson says no, um, what it seems to me too, Rick though, like I don't know if money is an object at all. It seems like they are willing to take a loss maybe for the first couple of years, um, be, and just throw the money around and it, it doesn't really matter. So I, I really don't know. I'm going to be very, uh, very curious to see and follow it as, as it goes along.
0: I think this hinges on um, the majors. I think if the major, the majors could squash this right now. If they said we stand by the PGA Tour, uh, I also think that they could start a floodgate situation. If they said, uh, you know what, it's okay, you can still play. I, I will say this: um, brilliant move by this league to essentially become the Asian Tour because now they can do OWGR points. That's how you get into major championship. Like it was kind of brilliant to essentially take over what is the Asian tour instead of trying to start your own tour. Cause you would have run into a bunch of different hurdles along the way, trying to do that, trying to get your players into major championships. And now they don't have to worry about that.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, what you said about the majors, like it's the, it's important for people to remember, like the masters is its own, like complete entity. It's, its own like, thing. The, yeah. yeah, The Masters doesn't really have any affiliation to the PGA Tour, the European Tour. Same with the R&A, which runs the British Open. Like the R&A is its own thing. Um, so, I, you know, and Martin Slumbers over there is, you know, he's he's the R&A guy. Um, I, I agree with you. I think the majors are the type of thing. Like Bryson cares about majors, and he has. Bryson legitimately has like the ability. I think this is a whole different podcast Rick, but what he did at Winged Foot, I guess it was almost 2 years ago. I think because it was COVID, because there were no fans, uh because it was during football season, like that major championship win has kind of seemed like it's gotten lost to time a little bit yeah one of the more underrated sporting performances of the last decade like he won the u.s open by five strokes no one else shot under par and bryson's i love bryson he's such great tv when he is playing well um and in the mix or even if it's kind of a tire fire like he is the biggest asset that the pga tour has right now so um and i think he's gonna like i think he's gonna figure out augusta i think he's gonna you know, be great. So I, I don't know what's going to happen.
0: Oh, we can do kind of a soft pivot here because Bryson withdrew from the Saudi International this morning. So before the, the second round started and he is uh, continuing to cite that wrist sat slash back injury um, is is the way that he has trained over the past couple of years. Is this, are we going to start to see this come back to bite him? or Or do we think that this is just kind of one-off stuff and maybe he can get healthy
1: yeah this kind of ties into the like the first twitter spaces we did uh i guess it was in november or december now where we were basically talking about which career would you want going forward and the argument against bryson was is this going to take a toll on his body? And I think both of us were like, yes, I think it probably will. But I also trust Bryson to reinvent himself. And I thought that he was going to get to that stage, maybe at 35 or 40 where he needed to reinvent himself. And clearly it's coming a lot sooner.
0: Yeah, man. I don't know. I mean, he's, we're 60 days out or so from Augusta. Um, There's probably a couple of events in the Florida swing. He'd like to get his hands on, but yeah, this is for him, for Jordan Spieth. This is like a very interesting time. I think following them for the next month or six weeks, like, man, this is, this is crunch time now we're in it.
1: Yeah. We're, we're in the thick of it. These are, these are like the tour. I mean, I'm not going to put a ton of stock into how some of these guys do at the Saudi tournament. Right. But I mean, the players is, I think like exact like a month away um, and the masters is like less than two months away now. So yeah, I mean, I, I hope Bryson can get healthy. I, I, like I said, like, I think uh, golf is in such a better place when, when Bryson is playing well, but yeah, I, I don't know what is what is going to happen in terms of, how much the injury stuff and how much the speed training stuff is going to play out like more quickly than we thought. Right.
0: I agree. So we'll, we'll see how this shakes out, um, over the course of the next couple of weeks. And I feel like the, the Saudi stuff is is ramping up as well. So maybe we'll see, um, something more than just a report, right? Like, like make a statement, make, I, I don't know. Everything is just like, Hey, here's a report, and everybody's wishy washy on confirming it. So maybe we'll actually get real news in the next, and and maybe we shouldn't even be caring until we get real real news. But here we are.
1: Here we are. Yeah, <laughs> we shall see.
0: Uh, all right. Let's play. Uh, we'll do a little fun and games. I've got a uh, a Golf Digest graphic that I want to talk through, but we're gonna do that. Uh, we're gonna do that on the other side here. All of the tools and data that you see me use on this channel is from my site, rickrungood.com. RickRungood.com is one of the largest golf databases on the planet, and it's geared towards making your DFS and betting research process as efficient as possible. There are literally millions of data points in the database, and while that might sound intimidating, the tools that I've built allow you to cut through the data quickly, choose what's important to use, and even build lineups that are ready for import directly into DraftKings. Outside of that, membership gets you access to the Slack channel, currently 2,000 RunGooders who are ready to share insights and have a little fun i love it and you will too sign up at rickrungood.com okay andy i am a sucker for like the twitter graphic game you know take five guys for 20 bucks or in this case uh and i'll try to share my screen here which of these, if you could only play one course forever, which would it be? This was in honor of, of Groundhog's Day. Uh, so the idea of you only get to play one course forever. Now, this is from Golf Digest. They've listed us eight options. St. Andrews, Shinnecock Hills, Pebble Beach, Augusta National, Oakmont, Muirfield, Royal Melbourne, and Royal County Down. Before we reveal what our answers are, um i love to overthink these Andy. and there are a few different angles that you could come from you know do you want to play what you think is the most exclusive do you want to think uh, do you want to play what you think is um the most beautiful i think there's a lot of things to consider when we're trying to figure out the only course you can play forever
1: i've thought way too long and hard about this as well like with pebble you should probably consider the fact that you're in one of the most beautiful places in the world, even if maybe you like the golf courses a little bit better from an architecture standpoint, some of the other ones. Um, But yeah, I I also like Shinnecock, for example, Shinnecock's really hard. Shinnecock is really, really hard. So do you want to get beat up every single day for the rest of your life? Or do you want a course where, you know, you can same with oakmok. Oakmont is really, really hard. Oakmont's greens run at like fourteen on a stimp. It's like putting on glass. So, do you want to play that every day for the rest of your life and get beaten up every day? That's the other thing that I was kind of considering.
0: No, Dak. Too many says Augusta. Please and thank you. Which I okay. That is the default immediate answer for everyone because first of all, it is the the only place that you you know basically every other golf course in the world with enough money you can get on augusta is is not right you've you've got to either get an invite or you've got to get uh you know membership through through their process and uh that is obviously the default answer but you have to remember andy there's going to be like 6 months a year you're not going to be able to play augusta national because they shut it down for a long period of time. Um, You know, the grass goes through its kind of dormant stage. So I I think weather and location, like you have to rule out some of these just because you're not going to be able to play them all the time. Um, I, I think Augusta is the quick answer, but I'm not sure it's the right answer, which
1: is always scary to say. Augusta was my first thought. I think Royal Melbourne is like the hipster architecture uh answer like that course is supposed i mean is same as a mckenzie they're as both well mckenzie's as a, yeah yeah so same guy who designed augusta and um i people have raved r- said unbelievable things about royal melbourne from an architecture yeah. standpoint um plays really really firm and fast we saw it for the president's cup um a couple of years ago um I, I i'd probably go augusta rick I think I'd probably go Augusta. I think there's something about Augusta where um, the element of unknown and the um, the fact that it feels so elusive and so um, it, it, the history there and, and it just feels like such a special, special place. Um, and I don't think that for the tees that I would probably be playing it every single day. I don't think that it is like unfairly, brutally hard, right? Like, I think I bet you, I bet you, you'd, you could score a little bit if you were playing well from, you know, the regular tees. I think it's very playable in that sense. So I think I'd probably go, Augusta. What about you?
0: Do you, uh, okay, uh, is the assumption that we're living in these places or that anytime we want to, play golf, we have to travel to this course. Like, what are the ground rules for the only course you can play for the rest of
1: your life? My assumption is that you have access to it every time. And like travel is not really an issue, right? Because if that was the case, I would just say Pebble, because I'm like a four hour drive from Pebble. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think it is you I think you have to assume for the context of this question that you have extremely easy access to this course.
0: Okay. Um, uh, I've narrowed it down to, a, it's Augusta National and Pebble for me. I think that okay. um, the year round aspect of Pebble, I think is very enticing, right? I think that's, mm-hmm. I think it's very, very enticing. It's, it's uh, yeah, as you said, one of the most beautiful places in the world. I, I, I like that. I factor that in a lot, that, that you can play it basically 12 months of the year. There's something about St. Andrews that I think would be really cool, which is, you know, the birthplace of golf. It's in this little town. It's like the world's golf course, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like it would, there'd be something so majestic about that being the only course you ever played. But I, yeah, I mean, do I have to fly over there every single time I want to play? Right. Like that's, that's the stuff I consider. (laughs)
1: scorable too like i think with yeah with yeah with pebble and, Maybe let's go <laughs> yeah i think i think with pebble and saint andrews too like i think you yeah i think you score on those courses i don't i don't think it would it would beat you up too too often so yeah i mean i i like every day versus playing one time is a right. very very different question right because if it's one time then I think Shinnecock rises in my ranks. Then I think Oakmont rises a little bit in my ranks as well. Yeah,
0: I would. I would prefer to have like the if you're going to play it one time question to remove Augusta National just because that's everyone's kind of like default, yeah, right? So you could, class. yeah, right. So you could then work in a lot of these other places that you're probably never going to play in your life, but you know, like with almost certainty, you're you're never going to play Augusta National. For, the vast
1: majority of people are never going to play
0: Augusta National.
1: Ever. I would even, Rick, I was just thinking about this. I would, because I was thinking about the Mackenzie versus like the beauty of Pebble Beach. I would almost go off the board and say Cypress Point as a write in, because yeah. Cypress Point, you get the architecture stuff with its, it's a true original Mackenzie and it also has all of the views as Pebble. You get the exclusivity thing with Augusta, by the way. And I, it's scorable from what I've heard. It's not the most difficult course ever. So I'm surprised they didn't they didn't throw Cypress in there.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I'll I'll take um every day forever, I'll give the nod to Pebble, but man, it would be hard to pass up pass okay. up
1: Augusta National. Yeah. Augusta I'm Pebble. going I'm going Augusta by by a sliver. Yeah, I should probably just do that. I don't care if I can only play it six months of the year anyway. (laughs) I think it's worth it because you like, I think, Rick, it's one of those places where like if you're going to Augusta, you're going there for a weekend, you're staying there, you're getting the full experience. um, I I think it's worth it. You
0: going to Riv Uh, two weeks?
1: I think so. Are you going to try and make it down?
0: Yeah, so I think I think I'm actually going to fly just because of the the timing of it and having to be back for some commitments and flights from Vegas to I mean they're super cheap. So, uh yeah, I think as of now it's going to be like Thursday, Friday though. I don't know if you're planning on being there on the weekend or what.
1: No, those those days are actually better for me to go. Thursday and Friday is better for me to go because like Saturday and Sunday, I'm already starting to do a bunch of prep and research for the next tournament. And I do my my Sunday pod and stuff like that. Yeah, so Thursday and Friday are uh, are great days for me. Yeah, I think I huh. they already have a lot of the commitments up, Rick. Amazing yeah, field. Amazing. Field. Phoenix too, actually. I was just looking at Phoenix as well. But yeah, great field. These next two weeks are going to be really exciting.
0: Yeah, we went through the phase of, like, um, you know, not everybody was playing, but guys, some guys knew, like, hey, I can kind of alleviate some of the pressure for the FedEx Cup run, like, if I get a couple of hundred points now. But now we're like, okay, this is Masters prep. Uh, yeah, Players is right around the corner. Like, this is a very important time. And now I feel like we're only going to see – we're going to see great fields outside of just, like, a couple of random,
1: you know, handful of events in between that, have, that are bad spots on the schedule. One more thing before we get going, just to follow follow up on one of the storylines we were talking about on Tuesday. Did you get to watch a lot of Speeth yesterday? Uh, not really. No. Yeah, me neither. I, didn't,
0: I don't remember seeing much of Speeth yesterday.
1: Yeah, he was on Monterey. They don't have as many cameras on Monterey and Spyglass, obviously. But he he was in the he was in the feature group for a little bit, so I I toggled a little bit. It looks like the results weren't terrible. But the pre-shot routine is like nightmare fuel for anyone that's like struggled with the swing change on a golf course. Like I just watch it and I, I, I get anxiety.
0: He just, um, I couldn't tell if that was his ball or somebody else. They have him on now, but yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to go back and watch his round real quick, uh, from yesterday if it was in the featured stuff. And then I'll I'll try to keep an eye on him today. Seamus power living in the middle of the fairway, I think he's four for four. So only, uh, five, five fairways to go. And we've yeah. uh we've locked that one up. All right, Andy. Any anything else before we before we get out of here?
1: Uh no, I don't think so, man. Um one and done update. Cameron. <laughs> I'm just I'm just dude, I'm like so
0: I don't, I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. That was one of the worst rounds ever that he had.
1: Yeah, and, and and he also remember at the PGA where he uh he made like he was like seven over through a three hole stretch. I think that that's the thing with some of these guys that like aren't great players, but statistically it's like, Oh, they're kind of getting somewhere every time it seems like too good to be true with a Cameron Tringali, He seems to remind us like, Hey guys, at the end of the day, I'm still Cameron Tringali. Like, let's not forget that.
0: I hope that Seamus Power does not uh that, that does not happen to Seamus Power. I'll be very upset if he's just like, uh, oh, by the way, that guy that you knew for like five years yeah. before this six-month period, I'm actually I'm that st- guy.
1: I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> I still I still exist. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh as the tournament goes on. It seems like we've we've got, you know, not a crazy leaderboard by any means, but like a nice, a nice one shaping up with some good storylines. Kale was great, obviously. Yeah. So um, we'll see where it goes, my friend.
0: All right. Well, we'll get out of here. Big thanks to Prize Picks for uh, presenting the show again. The code you want, it's Rick. 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Uh, we've been enjoying the hell out of Prize Picks recently, and we're going to continue to do so. But for now, big thanks to uh, my wife, Armina. She's producing the show behind the scenes. Thank you, uh, Andy Lack. You can find on Twitter at ADPLackSports. You can find me at Rick Run Good. We'll see you on Tuesday.